0: Blessed be God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And blessed be his kingdom, now and forever, amen. Let us pray together. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you to remain standing for our song of praise. be with you. Let us pray. Lord God, by your providence, our founders won their liberties of old, grant that we and all the people of this land may have grace to exercise these liberties in righteousness and peace. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever, amen. Amen. I invite you to be seated for the reading of God's Word.
1: A reading from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 7, beginning at the third verse. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Astaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said there, We have sinned against the Lord." And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard this, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that we may be saved from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered mightily with a sound that day against the Philistines, and threw them into confusion, and they were routed before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them, as far as below with beth Car, Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Chen, and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, Till now the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and did not again enter the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
2: Please stand for the reading of the gospel. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
3: Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we believe that you inspired the writing of 1 Samuel chapter 7. We believe these words not only had power in the day that they were written, but these words have power this day because they're inspired by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, come Holy Spirit, open this word for us, perhaps as never before, that we would be changed more and more to be like Christ for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to be seated. On this Independence Day weekend, what can we as Christians do most for our country right now? On this Independence Day weekend, what can we as the church, as Christians, do most for our country right now? And first... Samuel 7 tells us what we can do most for our country is remember who we are. See, in times of national crisis, we, the church, can forget ourselves. We can forget who we are. We can get caught up in all the rhetoric, in all the fear, in all the anger, in all the positions, in all the sides... And when the church gets caught up in the spirit of the age, then we sound just as pragmatic and partisan as the pagans. But in a time of crisis, the best thing that the church can do for our nation is to remember who we are, to remember ourselves. We all know what it's like to get caught up in the moment. I know. Oh, a year ago, a little over a year ago, when we still had professional sports being played, remember that time? I was at a playoff hockey game with my 13 year old daughter. And, you know, playoffs are just so much more exciting. They're just bigger than regular sporting activities. It's the playoffs. And so I was getting caught up in the moment, but even more so. And I was yelling and screaming and cheering. And yes, I admit, joining in the crowds, particularly cursing out the referees. And I turned, and my 13-year-old daughter, was. she gave me this look. I said, what? She says, Daddy, do they all know you're a priest? (laughs) See, we forget ourselves. And we so often get caught up in the moment. But we, the church, in a time of crisis especially, must not forget ourselves. We need a reminder. We need an Ebenezer. Like this rock that Samuel erects here in 1 Samuel chapter 7. It's after a great military battle where the Lord has rescued them. Verse 12 of 1 Samuel 7 He calls it Ebenezer, Ebenezer, stone of help. It's meant to be a visual reminder, a monument, a remembrance with that inscription, thus far the Lord has helped us. See, we, the church, need an Ebenezer so that we can remember who we are, especially in a time of crisis. And If we will allow the Lord to remind us, if we have the right Ebenezer to remind us, we will be reminded of exactly what Israel is reminded of here in 1 Samuel chapter 7. We need an Ebenezer to remind us, first of all, that we're sinners. Israel recognizes and remembers that they are sinners. They are broken people with a broken past. But not only are Are they remembering that they're sinners, but they're remembering that they're saved? It's been a great, mighty victory of salvation, but it's been won by God. It's been a a salvation by grace, but it's not enough for them simply to remember that they're sinners saved by grace. They must also remember that they are subjects, subjects to the one who has saved them, subjects to the true king. And to no other. See first. Israel and we too. Need an Ebenezer. To remind us that we're sinners. Verse 6. Of 1 Samuel chapter 7. They gathered at Mizpah. Drew water. Poured it out before the Lord. And fasted on that day. And said there. We have sinned against the Lord. They acknowledge their sin, and their brokenness before God. And specifically what they're remembering is is a moment of absolute failure 20 years earlier at that exact same spot. 20 years ago in that spot, Israel, due to its great unfaithfulness, had lost a military battle against the Philistines. The Ark of the Covenant had been stolen by the Philistine army. It was unthinkable. Hophni and Phinehas, the priests, that accompanied them into battle, were killed in the battle. And when the high priest, Eli, their father, heard the news that they had died, he fell down dead. And Phinehas' wife, who was pregnant with Phinehas' son, went into early labor at the sound of her husband's death. And when the child came, she named the child in the precise truth of that moment. She named him Ichabod, which means the glory has departed. They were remembering this moment 20 years ago of great shame and guilt and sin. And the town nearby, in fact, was called Ebenezer. The stone that Samuel built, he called Ebenezer, but the town was also named Ebenezer, which is a way of reminding us that when God calls us to remember, he's saying, don't just remember the good stuff you need to remember the hard times you've gone through as well. If not, you will lose perspective on what God has won for you. See, the difficulty is that we all, as Christians, can affirm Romans 3.23. Oh, we're, you know, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We say it, but our actions and our words so often, Walgreens is calling me, our action and our words so often undercut and show us that we have clearly forgotten that we are sinners. Because we see this most clearly in our outrage towards others. In the way that we get so worked up and and get so filled with outrage towards one another, we are forgetting at some deep level who we are, sinners. You see, psychologists and philosophers are beginning to call the days that we are living in an age of outrage. That this outrage becomes a mechanism by which we can deal with our own sense of guilt by projecting that sense of guilt onto another, focusing on their guilt, a heinous victimizer, an oppressor, someone of another tribe or party, and they become the problem, and they become the scapegoat. It sounds so much like Luke chapter 18 where Jesus talks about two men going to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And the problem is that the words that come out of the Pharisee's mouth here so often, if I'm honest, can come out of my own mouth. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes towards heaven and simply said, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. And Jesus says, that man went home justified. We forget that though we are Christians and forgiven, that we are still sinners. We still fall into sin. As Brennan Manning, the author of the Ragamuffin Gospel, which is my clergy book pick of the month in our bookstore, now that we've reopened it, he says this of this mixed nature, sinner and saint, of what it means to be a Christian. He says, when I get honest, I admit I am a bundle of paradoxes, I believe and I doubt. I hope and I get discouraged. I love and I hate. I am trusting and I am suspicious. I am honest and I still play games. Aristotle said that I'm a rational animal. I say that I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. As 1 John 1, verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to remember, we need an Ebenezer to remind us that we are sinners. But not only sinners, we're sinners saved by grace. We're saved sinners. That's who we are. I love in verse 9 how we see the Gospels just so clearly pointed. I mean, you see Jesus again and again throughout the Hebrew Bible, but it's so apparent here in verses 9 and 10. right? The Philistines are gathering near to destroy Israel. Interesting, Israel has gathered for a worship service of repentance, which many commentators have said means they didn't bring any weapons with them. They're completely unarmed. And the Philistines say... They've gathered. This is the moment. Let's do them in yet again. And they gather in prayer. And in verse nine of our text, we read these words So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. And then these words As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the lamb. The Philistines drew near to attack Israel, but the Lord thundered with a mighty sound against, that, against the Philistines that day, threw them into confusion, and were defeated before Israel. Do you hear that gospel? Ears to hear the gospel in this? As the lamb was being sacrificed, in the moment that the lamb was being sacrificed, the Lord thundered and saved them. It's precisely a picture of the gospel that is Jesus, the Lamb of God, as his cousin John the Baptist refers to him. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as that Lamb would one day be crucified and sacrificed on Calvary. In that moment of sacrifice, God thundered. Actually, Matthew's version says there was an earthquake, and that was the moment of our salvation. That was the moment when God made him the lamb who knew no, knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. My sin falls on the head of another and in that moment, my salvation is won. That's what 1 Samuel 7 is telling us. That's what Jesus has done for us. And all of that means... That this salvation that has been won for us is not won because of something we've done. The fact that it's the lamb being sacrificed that brings about the salvation means that this is God's gracious action. We have done nothing. We have not earned it. We have not deserved it. We are saved by grace. Grace. And as we're saved by grace, it appropriately will humble us And oh, it will bring us to tears when we hear stories of grace. It's why I am brought to tears every time I hear conversion stories. I love to hear conversion stories. One of my favorite conversion stories, which seems appropriate this week, it's not just just Independence Day this weekend, but on the 1st of July is Canada Day, which, by the way, was the four-year anniversary from when we moved here. Ironically, we moved to America on Canada Day in 2016. But I love the story of the conversion of John A. Macdonald, the first Prime Minister of Canada. Sir John A. Macdonald, who was brilliant with political wit and fire, but was a known drunk in the city of Ottawa, He held the post of prime minister and everyone knew that he was a raging alcoholic. So bad, in fact, that once at an election debate, he was so inebriated that he vomited on the stage in front of everybody. His opponent said, is this the man you want running the country? A a drunk? And McDonald didn't miss a beat. He simply said, I don't get sick because of drink. I get sick listening to my opponent. But in 1888... Three years into his first term as Prime Minister, he went to a prayer meeting. And when the evangelist named John Hunter asked for those to stand in the service who wished to become Christians for the first time, Sir John A. MacDonald, the Prime Minister, stood along with his wife. And as a journalist reported who was there in the room, said, when the well-known form of the honorable prime minister arose in the center of the church, many strong men bowed their heads and wept for joy. See, whether you had a dramatic conversion that brought you to Jesus, or whether you were kissed into the kingdom as a child, like my wife, we are all objects of grace grace has been shown to us sinners. We are sinners saved by grace and therefore it should humble us. As Ephesians chapter two, verse eight says, for grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works so that no one may boast. We need to remember We need an Ebenezer that will remind us as the church that we are sinners saved by grace. But the problem is, too many of us stop there. We say, Oh, yeah, I know, I'm a sinner saved by grace. And we stop there. But 1 Samuel 7 requires us to go further. See, we're not just sinners saved by grace we are also needed to be reminded of the fact. We need an Ebenezer to remind us that we're sinners saved by grace and now we are subjects to that king who saved us. We now stand under his kingship and his authority and we seek to obey him in our lives as Lord and sovereign. Verses three and four of our text in 1 Samuel 7. Samuel said to the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away your foreign gods and the Ashtaroth among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. That's the language of a subject to a king. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away their Baals and the Ashtaroth and they served the Lord only see throughout the story israel is able to recognize that it's the lord who has saved them it's the lord who has come to rescue them in verse 8 they say that he the lord may save us verse 10 it was the lord who thundered in might and verse 13 the hand of the lord was against the philistines See, the core of this Ebenezer story is not just that Israel's been saved, but that they would remember who saved them. Our help is in the name of the Lord, Psalm 121 says. And what's amazing about that psalm, Psalm 121, our help is in the name of the Lord, one of my favorite psalms, is it begins like this It says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From whence does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You see, the, the context of Psalm 121, looking up to the hills, the hills are where all the temples and the shrines to the other gods would be. That's where all the other pagan houses of worship were up in the hills, the high places. And the psalmist is asking, I look to the hills, is that where my help comes from? No, my help comes from the Lord maker of heaven and earth. It is God who is our help. But friends, we are constantly confronted with the temptation to leave our God and serve idols instead. And I'm not talking about little shrines you can find in people's houses with little carved images those are a problem but i'm talking more deeply about the idols of our hearts that are so deceptive in our world the idols of ideology or tribalism or partisanship or various leaders that may be among us we have such propensity to turn our leaders into idols we do it again and again interestingly it's the next chapter Chapter 8. In chapter 8, many years later, after this Ebenezer moment, Israel comes to Samuel and says, give us a king like the other nations. And Samuel is destroyed by this request. Even though we had this Ebenezer moment, you still have forgotten. Because as Israel asks for a king like the nations, what they're effectively saying, Samuel tells them, is you don't want God to be your king anymore. You want a human king like the nations. You don't want to have your king who is God, who you must trust by faith without sight going into your battles. No, you want a human king who you can look at and say, that's the one I put my trust in. And in doing so, you are rejecting the God who has saved you and you are trusting in an idol. our propensity to abandon God as our king and replace him with another. We do it all the time. It's what I call kingly creep. We are constantly creeping back to enthroning human kings and different ideologies and tribalism as our sovereigns instead of God. As Jeremiah chapter 2 verse 32 says, can a virgin forget her ornaments? or a bride, her attire, yet my people have forgotten me days without number. As an immigrant, as a permanent resident of this nation, who has two American flags hanging outside the front of my house this weekend, I have to say, as an immigrant, who is deeply committed to this nation? This is not about us rejecting civic authority. We need to have leaders and we need to pray for our leaders and support our leaders. But this is our, about our propensity to turn our leaders into kings. Our leaders are not kings. We fought a war in this nation to no longer have men stand over us as kings. Our leaders are neither our greatest hopes nor the worst devils among us. They are simply men and women under God like you and me. We, the church, have got to remember to whom we are subject. And George Washington showed us this more than anyone else. Our founding fathers knew what we have a propensity to forget. You see, George Washington understood the vices of human leadership and how quickly this kingly creep would get into our bones. Not once, but twice, he gave up his authority. After the Revolutionary War, three months after the Revolutionary War, when so many among his soldiers' ranks and others were whispering about Washington becoming king, Washington gave up his post as general, as commander-in-chief before Congress, bowing to Congress. And then after two terms as president, when again there were whispers that he should stay on for a third and maybe really he could carry on and be our new kind of American king with people like John Adams saying that we should refer to him as his elected majesty or his mightiness, kingly creep. Washington stepped aside. And it baffled King George III. King George III could not understand Washington giving up his authority. As we so clearly see in Hamilton, the musical, upon hearing the news of Washington's resignation as president, George III says, they say, George Washington's yielding his power and stepping away. Is that true? I wasn't aware that was something a person could do. I'm perplexed. Are they going to keep on replacing who's ever's in charge? If so, who's next? There's nobody else in that country who looms quite as large. George Washington was able to give up his authority because he was fundamentally aware of the kingly creep that lives inside every human heart. Just like Israel, we desire to give up God and take another as our king. Our founding fathers knew what we so often forget, than the words of Philippians chapter 2, that it is only at the name of Jesus that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord which means Jesus Christ alone is king. So how do we build such an Ebenezer? Well, we don't have to build it. Jesus, the king, has given us the Ebenezer, the stone of remembrance, the way that we will remember He gives us this Ebenezer, this meal so that weekly we who are prone to forget God will be fundamentally reminded to the core of our being that we are sinners, saved by grace and now invited to the king's table as his subjects. To him we obey And it will be the king's words and the king's ideals and the king's morality that will be heard on our lips as we're sent out because to him we are subject rather than people hearing the words of ideologies and partisanship and saying, oh, we clearly know where they're subject to. What can we most do for our country as Christians on this Independence Day weekend? We can remember who we are because we too often in times of national crisis forget who we are, the people of the king. We need an Ebenezer to remind us that we are great sinners, that we have been saved by grace, And that we are subjects of the one and true king. Here I lay my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts. Above, And Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer and said, Thus far, the Lord has helped us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us stand together as we confess what we believe.
2: We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is visible and invisible. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light,
4: In peace we pray to you, Lord God. For all people in their daily life and work, for our families, friends, and neighbors, and for those who are alone. For this community, the nation, and the world, for all who work for justice, freedom, and peace. For the just and proper use of your creation, For the victims of hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression. For all who are in danger, sorrow, or any kind of trouble. For those who minister to the sick, the friendless, and the needy. For the peace and unity of the Church of God. For all who proclaim the gospel and all who seek the truth. For Foley, our Archbishop. Todd, our Bishop, Paul, our Dean and Rector, and all our clergy and lay leaders, for all who serve God in his Church. Hear us, Lord, for your mercy is great. Let us humbly confess our sins to Almighty God. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you to the glory of your name. Amen.
3: Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, who in His great mercy has promised forgiveness of sins to all those who sincerely repent and with true faith turn unto Him, have mercy upon you, pardon and deliver you from all your sins, confirm and strengthen you in all goodness, and bring you to everlasting life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. invite you to rise. The peace of the Lord be always with you. Let's share that peace with one another directly within our own families and indirectly with others. I invite you to be seated for a few quick announcements. Again, welcome to Christ Church on this Independence weekend. We're so glad you're here. One thing that's wonderful about us continuing to worship and move forward, even with the various safety protocols in place, is that we have these little moments that remind us that things can, at least some things, can continue as normal. You'll notice our back-to-school backpack, uh, our drive for kids in need, we're able to start that up. That'll begin next Sunday. Over the next few weeks, receiving uh, backpacks and donations towards supporting children as they go back to school. information's in the bulletin and on our website. But let me just remind you that in this time of of crisis within our nation, we're going to have a higher percentage of families in need as they face this daunting task of returning their children to school. And so this is one way that you can be blessing our neighbors within our community. So we encourage you to do that. Now, as well, every week we celebrate birthdays and wedding anniversaries. So if you have a birthday today or the week coming, or if you have a birthday that we haven't been able to pray for you over in the last four months, we encourage you to stand now so we can pray for your birthdays. You'll find our prayer for birthdays in our bulletin. Watch over your children, O Lord, as their days increase. Bless and guide them wherever they may be strengthen them when they stand, comfort them when discouraged or sorrowful, raise them up if they fall, and in their hearts may your peace which passes understanding abide all the days of their lives. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Happy birthday. And for those of you celebrating wedding anniversaries today or this week coming, or if we've missed your anniversary in the last four months, would you stand so we can pray for you? No wedding anniversaries today. Then let's come to the Lord's table, the King's table. Many of you have been with us already for this as we approach the King's table with, uh, as recipients of grace. But now with these safety protocols in place, our clergy will go behind the screen during the communion prayer and freshly sanitize their hands and put on gloves and they'll be masked as usual, just to keep it as safe an experience for you as possible and for them. As well, we'll have our standing stations For consecrated bread, you'll notice our offering baskets at the end of the pews. You can place your offerings in there on the web if you haven't moved your giving to online. After you receive the consecrated bread, if you desire to receive consecrated wine, you do so at one of our consecrated wine communion stations, receiving the little plastic cup by the base and then placing the empty in the empty tray. And if you do not wish to receive communion, you still may come forward and we will pray God's blessing on you. Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, forever and ever. All that is in heaven and earth is thine. All things come of thee, and of thine own have we given thee. Amen. Let us stand together for our preparatory hymn.
5: The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right, our duty, and our joy, always and everywhere, to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who on the first day of the week overcame death and the grave, and by his glorious resurrection, open to us the way of everlasting life. Therefore, we praise you, joining our voices with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, who forever sing this hymn to proclaim the glory of your name. continue in prayer. Holy and gracious Father, in your infinite love, you made us for yourself. And when we had sinned against you and become subject to evil and death, you in your mercy sent your only son Jesus Christ into the world for our salvation. By the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, he became flesh and dwelt among us. In obedience to your will, he stretched out his arms upon the cross and offered himself once for all, that by his suffering and death we might be saved. By his resurrection, he broke the bonds of death, trampling hell and Satan under his feet. As our great high priest, he ascended to your right hand in glory that we might come with confidence before the throne of grace. On the night that he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ took bread, and when he given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, after supper, Jesus took the cup, and when he given thanks, he gave them saying, Drink this all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We celebrate the memorial of our redemption, O Father, in this sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, and we offer you these gifts. Sanctify them by your word and Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Sanctify us also that we may worthily receive this holy sacrament and be made one body with him, that he may dwell in us and we in him. In the fullness of time, put all things in subjection under your Christ and bring us with all your saints into the joy of your heavenly kingdom where we shall see our Lord face to face. All this we ask through your Son, Jesus Christ, by him and with him and in him, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. All honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. And now, as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallelujah! Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed once for all upon the cross. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Alleluia. The gifts of God for the people of God. Take them in remembrance that Christ died for you, and feed on him in your hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Come beloved, all is ready.
3: We pray together our post-communion prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for feeding us with the spiritual food of the most precious body and blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and for assuring us in these holy mysteries that we are living members of the body of your Son and heirs of your eternal kingdom. And now, Father, send us out to do the work you have given us to do, to love and serve you as faithful witnesses of Christ our Lord. To him, to you, and to the Holy Spirit, be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding guards your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. Let us go out into this Independence Day weekend singing together, Lead on, O King Eternal.
2: into the world rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks be to God.